Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night, continuing our mockumentary discussion. I'm Michael, and Mindy's on the other side. <clears throat> Yo. We are going to be discussing This Is Spinal Tap and also Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. And uh, there are a few musical-oriented mockumentaries out there, so I don't want to ignore those, but these, I think, are the two, like kind of the bookends to the genre. I feel like the mockumentary's kind of done now, in, at least, you know, in cinemas. Who knows? The, uh, now, Spinal Tap is not the first. There was The Ruddles and there was Home Movies uh, from mm. Albert Brooks. But Spinal Tap is the one that I think got everybody talking, but I still feel like it took a very long time for people to pick up that style of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, I still think, I think that it's still, you know, a style that is kind of niche, you know, it's yeah. not, it's definitely not for everyone. I would say after Best in Show is when it became more popular, it's probably when you saw the most. You mostly see this on television or, or like uh, specials on HBO. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I think that there's... Yeah, Netflix, HBO, that kind of stuff. It's not uncommon, but um, yeah, maybe you're right that it's, you know, feature films at the movie theater. Uh, probably not going to be that often. Right. The uh, the genre that is covered in This is Spinal Tap is basically, it's a mixture of like, oh, 70s dark metal, power metal kind of stuff and the douchebagginess of what was to come with like Motley Crue and stuff like that. It, it's reflective at, and at the same time, like, uh, you know, it, it could see the future of what was coming. Mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Not, I was going to say it was predictive. Uh, damn it. What's the word I'm looking for? We can see the prophetic, prophetic. Ah, I'm not very smart, kids. <laughs> it's okay. I don't think that we're either one of us is, is at our peak uh, intellectual level right now. <laughs> the uh, what I love about the the documentary, the mockumentary, is that it gave you the life before they became the hair metal band, and they showed them in the '60s as like uh, like a Beatles ripoff kind of band. Yeah, that they they definitely had uh, yeah had like a Beatles. Herman and the Hermits. Yeah, you know what? I would say, yeah, that. Herman the Hermits is more like it because they weren't as. You know how the Stones and the Beatles have a very particular look and style to them? And there was kind of like the knockoffs of them, which I would consider yes. like Herman the Hermits, you know, one of those guys. They felt a little generic. Yeah. I guess for lack of better word choices, um, super hokey. Especially in their like style and, uh, but it was a really, I mean, I thought that was just a hilarious way to introduce them. I mean, basically everything about them was an, you know, a tribute or an ode to actual bands that yeah. really exist. And I mean, most of their music sounded, ex you know, like songs that you have already heard, but mostly every song was like appealing to the ear, but the but the uh, the lyrics were really terrible, <laughs> like just really offensive, you know. Give me some like, money. 
but right isn't that sounds like a that wasn't that like a stone song very similar to a rolling stone song at some yeah it's um, it's point? i think that's what works best about this in pop star is that they knew the genres they knew to make yes. songs that sounded like if it was of this time period there's a chance that it would have been popular yeah what was the one with yeah the, definitely the, there's the hippie era too where that one was probably their weakest but that was the most ridiculous i think moment even more than when they're in tap is that's just so silly yeah, I mean, that's the point, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, the whole, you know, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I really enjoyed it for a lot of reasons, but, I mean, yeah, you can't deny it's like the... Just every song is about like sex and butts and <laughs> the lyrics are terrible but like they're so catchy but also they're just so like they think that they're like musical geniuses and that what they write is like really changing the world or something yeah it, I feel like the way like, about Kiss Kiss is one of those bands yeah. like the pop level of Kiss is amazing, but when you actually sit and listen to the songs, yeah. you're like, there's only five lyrics. They keep repeating, lick it mm-hmm. up. I love it loud. You know, rock and roll all night. Yeah, they're fun, yeah. like, when you're at a get-together, but when you sit there and just, like, ponder, most of Kiss's stuff is so stupid. Yeah. And that's what Tap reminds me of. It's like, what are they, like, uh, not Big Bottom Girls, because that's, um, that's Queen. Uh, what is it, what is the song they sing about Big Butts? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It doesn't really matter, but basically that's what they were, I mean, getting at, right? Big bottom, my girl's got them. I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. what, what, he talks about, like, she's got quicksand, stuff like that. It's so it's just so ridiculous. And they're so yeah, sincere but... in all of it. That's what makes it work. Yeah. Like, they have all these, like, you know, um, very poorly veiled uh, references to butts and penises and like you're like everything is basically just about sex and it's like really obvious oh yeah working <laughs> on a sex farm that's my favorite go to uh, roll me up some hay <laughs> so nuts it's all just it's just all so silly but they're so committed to like their their genius yeah and i really i really love the part where like um christopher guest's character he's like playing the piano in that room by himself or whatever and and like um whatever the the guy who's doing the documentary you know he's like oh that's really pretty and you know he's like oh i feel like it's a mix between mozart and bach (laughs) this is like you think very highly of yourself (laughs) he does but you remember what he called the song (laughs) um yeah it was something really really stupid and sexual (laughs) lick my love pump That's right. He's like, that's really pretty. What's it called? Oh, it's called Lick My Love Pump. That's right. That's so funny. And yet he considers him himself to be a cross between Mozart and Bach. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that these guys were like the cool kids in L.A. at this time. So they score all these great cameos from Dana Carvey, Fran Dresser, oh, uh, Billy Crystal, um, 
Trevor, who else? Uh, Bruno Kirby's in I'm it. Pretty sh- I'm pretty sure that in their very first band, the um, one of the guys in their band, the very first one, was Paul Simon. Really? I know Ed Begley Jr. is one of them. Ed Bagley, Bagley Jr. was the drummer, and then I could have swore that they had like one more guy at the in the very first band, and it was Paul Simon. I wouldn't be surprised. Be People forget that Paul Simon was known for doing a lot of comedy during the early years of SNL. Was, I mean, he showed up what like twelve times. He was times. kind of a silly guy. Yeah. Um, well, you know, before all of this came together, Harry Shearer was a cast member of SNL. Most people forget this for like six months. In 1979, oh. he was a cast member. And then in 85, him and Christopher Guest joined the show for a season. And that's the season with hmm. Billy Crystal and Martin Short and uh, I want to say Jim Belushi. And Michael McKeon would join in 94 yeah. and 95. So it's interesting that all three members of Spinal Tap were uh, cast members of SNL. Yeah, I, I actually thought, I remember the years that uh, Michael McKean was on, and I thought, why the hell is he on here? Like, because I thought he was pretty recognizable. I knew him. He'd been acting for a very long time. Like, what was he doing on Saturday Night Live? Well, I looked it up, because I'm hardcore in SNL, and we're going to be doing a show about Saturday Night Live come next year. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. what it was is Phil Hartman was leaving to go shoot House Guest. He couldn't finish the season. And they wanted okay. more of a senior uh, team member to lead the new kids. You know, this is by the time where, you know, Mike Myers is gone, David Carvey's gone, most of the older guys are gone. I think Kevin Nealon was wrapping it up. So it's mostly the frat pack is what I like to call them. You know, Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and stuff like that, David Spade. Mm-hmm. And they were adding a whole bunch of new cast members. And Mike McKean was asked to join because he was experienced in improv. So he could deal with sketches going off the rails and creating new characters. And he was given an option to leave if he wanted to, you know, just give him a heads up. So most people, so he, he, it seems like when you look at it, he was there for 94, 95 season only. He was there for the last, I think, four episodes in 94, or 93, 94. And then he left after 13 episodes in the 94, 95 season and was replaced by Mark McKinney. Yeah, Mark McKinney. Mm, oh, okay. Mark McKinney, really? Yeah, you didn't remember Mark McKinney was on there for like three years. Mm, might have blocked it out. I yeah. think he's doing some of his best work now. Yeah, kids. Oh, well, I'm, I'm still uh, um, not completely on board with Superstore. But let's not go too far off tangent here. But uh, yeah, Superstore has some issues. But yeah. So anyway, yeah, Spinal Tap. Um, I know after this movie they would have a reunion. And I got super excited about it, and I don't even know why, because I had never seen the movie. I just heard they were this, you know, popular comedy band that was making a comeback, and their album was called Break Like the Wind. And me being 15, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna listen to this. <laughs> Break like the That's wind. so funny. So, um, so how did how do you watch this? Do you have it on DVD or do you have like a digital? Oh digital no, I actually I still have a video store, Mindy. <laughs> I still have a video store, and I went and rented it. Oh, I forgot about that. So, did you see the? Do you have the version where they they do like the 
a bunch of dialogue in yes, like the yes at the opening oh where they're like God. are they gonna play this movie what why is he waiting for i don't understand what he's doing just like come oh on already God, it was so funny i mean did they literally call them and say can you guys come back and record this little bit of nonsense well i mean they did the commentary like, track <laughs> they do the commentary track in character so that's when they recorded the actual oh, this is kids okay there was a time you know with the exception of shout factory every dvd had to have something special about it they really put a lot of money in DVD in the beginning because they wanted it to replace VHS. It was taking so long. LaserDisc yeah. was not taking over. So they would just fill DVDs to the brim. They would call them special editions, 15th anniversary editions, unrated editions, and just pack them full of whatever they could find on a DVD. And Spinal Tap is one of those first to be released, you know, when they think this MGM special edition loaded to the gills. Yeah, I do remember a lot of DVDs I having, you know, that was what what kind of made you want the DVDs as yeah. well, the extra stuff that they put into it. And MGM is known for, not a lot of people know this, MGM is a company that lost its catalog when Ted Turner bought it. And then the guy who bought MGM lied to the banks and told them that they had the catalog of movies they could use. And when the bank found out, they, I think they actually put the guy in jail took the company away from him, and then bought up all of these companies' catalogs that had been kind of languishing or they were in debt with the bank. So this was not an MGM release. This is an embassy release, which is Norman Lear's company. Norman Lear produced All in the Family, or created All in the Family, and that's his connection to Rob Reiner. How very interesting. Yeah, and because of this, it led to the Sure thing and, you know, uh, Princess Bride, uh, Stand By Me. You know, we, we started getting, like, a lot of these cast members from Spinal Tap would pop up here and there in his films. I mean, I feel like, you know, most of the cast members in Spinal Tap are, like, those really good character actors that you see all the time but don't necessarily know their names. Yeah, I would say Christopher Guest is probably the most serious of the bunch. He seems, I mean, yes, he does his own movies where he's a goofball, but he's done work outside of it that's serious, whereas I don't really remember Michael McKean or Harry Shearer ever doing anything serious. Yeah, I mean, maybe they never felt like they needed to do that kind of stuff, but maybe maybe Christopher Guest started off serious. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, his brother has always been serious. So now people know. I want to say his brother's name is Nicholas Guest. I could be wrong, but he's one of those guys that would show up in a lot of real low-budget direct-to-video garbage in the 90s. It's kind of a shame. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Michael McKeon, of course, has been around forever. He's probably the one who helped get this made, besides Rob Reiner, because, of course, uh, Laverne and Shirley was his big name to fame. Yeah, that was pretty good stuff. My favorite, though, is Clue. I love him in Clue. Oh. I think he's Mr. What was it? Not Mr. Peabody. But, you know, he's the nerdy one with the glasses. I can't remember. I haven't played Clue in forever. I haven't either. I I don't remember. He's Mr. Green, it says. Oh, okay, Mr. Green. Um, back to the but, movie real quick. Wait, we're talking, about Mike, we're talking about Michael McKean? Correct. Yeah, man, I haven't seen that movie in a million we years. Should, we I don't should know. do like, that one. I feel like there's there's an episode you could have okay. with all-star comedy. Like, it seems like every single oh. cast member was a known entity, you know, and they're, like, I was thinking, like, Rat Race, um, you know, Mystery Men, oh, stuff like that, that where movie. everybody was well-known. I love Rat Race way <laughs> too much. The, uh, or we could also we could also get bold and do uh, do one that's uh, movies based on games. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that means I have to sit through Battleship. <laughs> Well, you, we wouldn't have to. I'm just just There's throwing Ouija, it out though. there. I like Ouija. How do we get off on this? Okay, so yeah. Spinal Tap. Um, what I love, and apparently these stories are based on truth, because I was watching. You remember this show? I love the '80s, right? On VH1. Of course. They were talking it comes about in every episode. <laughs> they were talking about you know the movie, and they interviewed Quiet Riot, and they're like, "Yeah, that stuff happened to us. Like we got lost down, you know, in the basement trying to find the stage." Or we had equipment go horribly wrong and we got stuck in it. Or someone screwed up, you know, the art direction for the show. Got that tiny Stonehenge. And he refuses uh. to accept the fact that he made the mistake. That he blames Angelica Houston. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is very, very... And then they... Why did they go the extra mile to have, like, the little people? Yeah, I know. Just Does like, it feel like... Just in the 80s, whenever you wanted something, like, European and weird, they always seemed to add a little people to it. I think so. Does that mean they think that little people are exotic? I don't know, but I remember. I'm not sure. I always think of, uh, if you go down, if you want to, you can leave your friends behind. He's got the little person next to him mm-hmm. dancing. That's the aesthetic I think of 80s movies a lot of times. When it's just weird carnival European, like, what, uh, Eastern European, like, uh, Bulgaria kind of feel to it. It's not like oh, little people yeah. are exclusive to Eastern European. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was all very strange. And it was super hilarious when he, like, yeah, they all come out of those, like, pods, but then Harry Shear character, he just, like, the whole time he's trying to get out, and he's, like, pounding on the glass. <laughs> yeah, and, and then he rear, and rear, oh, bah, 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 trying to get him out. And he comes out just as they're going back in. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I met I mean, Harry Shearer, by the way. Did I ever tell you this? Um, I'm pretty sure you did when his teddy bear picnic or whatever the hell that was came out. Oh, what I heard was a terrible... Was that what it was yeah, called? Yeah, it was Teddy Bear's Picnic. He was hosting a live showing for NPR, and they paid for it to be shown in uh, Monterey where I was working. And when he zoomed by, I assumed that he was either late or he hated people. He just wanted to get in and get out as fast as possible. And I... He may be 5'1", at best. He was just... I was like, hey, was that a hobbit? What the hell was that? He is a tiny, tiny little man. Such a true. deep voice, though. Such a deep voice. I mean, do does everyone know the, what he's really known for? I, I think I think he's kind of like a niche... If you're going to listen to this episode, I'm sure you probably know who he is, you know, from The Simpsons. My favorite bit with him ever is from Wayne's World 2, when Wayne Ooh. and Garth go to the radio station... And they're convinced that Handsome Dan is Ted McGinley, and turns out he's the crazy one who goes, you know, ha, 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 all the time, and then it's Harry Shear. And they're telling him about Wayne Stock, and he's just like, uh, oh, yes. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. Like, he doesn't say any words. He's just, like, not even listening to yeah. them either. <laughs> I've done this to people. I do this just to test their limits to see if I notice I'm not listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know if you podcast like that where the guest is talking too long. I just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Well, you just told me your secret, so you better never do that to me. I did. Well, no, it's when people just ramble on too long. Like, you know, I'm surprised you don't do it to me. Um... The one thing well, I want to say... Usually, usually I just try to get you back on track. The You're right about that. You are a better listener than I am. I have ADD. 
the uh, the one thing I think is hilarious about the Black album that they screw up is that Metallica. Oh, yeah. Remember when Metallica put out a Black album? Except for in the corner, you could see yeah. a little tiny the "Don't Tread on Me" snake, and I was like, mm-hmm. are they are they paying homage to Spinal Tap with this? <laughs> I mean, how many years after? How many years after Spinal Tap? I think I want to say it's seven years. I mean, maybe they were cool enough to know that what they were doing. Yeah. I would like to think so. <laughs> At least they didn't name the album I mean, "Smell the Glove." <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's funny that um, I mean, in retrospect, <clears throat> watching it now, I was like, "What's the problem with the solid black cover?" Like, I didn't think it was a big deal, but and also, I think I had seen people do it. Yeah, the. Uh... I mean, have you ever? No, listened... I was just gonna say. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, just like they were commenting in the in the movie, the Beatles did the White Album. Is it really that different? I don't know. And the, and the Weezer apparently wants to do that every single uh, album now, as they call it a new color, yes. but they have the, they have themselves on it. Yeah. Um, did you? Yeah, not ha- quite the same thing, but. Yeah. Have you ever listened to any of this style of music before? Because you're pretty music expansive, but I feel like this is one that you might have missed. Um, like, real music in this style? Yeah, like Dio and Ozzy and Scorpions and stuff like that. I mean, only what the average person would have heard, like, on the radio, Uh, I guess. Yeah. Because I wouldn't, I mean, I've, everybody's heard songs by Ozzy. Everybody's heard songs by, like, you know... Kiss and Led Zeppelin and, and, you know, stuff like that, but ACDC and I wouldn't say extensively, but I have like a basic reference point, I guess. I avoided it like the plague because in my head it was always this falsetto annoying stuff. And then later I just started discovering and then you reflect back on this. So my experience with Spinal Tap this last time was different because I'm like, oh, no, they got the genre like on the nose. Yeah. Now, I mean, I wasn't didn't live in the seventies. I don't, I didn't, you know, wasn't a fan of that. You know, I didn't seek out that kind of stuff. No, but well, we always they, knew they, that these the guys who listened to it where we lived, they were Heshers. They were usually the burnouts and the guys who weren't going to make it through high school. And it just I associated the two together, so I just never wanted to really listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, you know me. Uh, the kind of the kind of music that I usually seek out is the stuff that I believe you said makes you sleepy. <laughs> well, I might have said that when I was younger. Yeah, so I'm more I'm more of a singer songwriter kind of person than than you're from the you're from the brain you're from the brain and the heart. I'm from the basic I guess the crotch. <laughs> I don't know, but I've changed obviously. But at years. the same time. But at the same time, you still, I mean, you can't deny, like, when you hear a good hook or, you know, a good, like, you know, song that gets you, your blood pumping. I mean, there's, there's a time and a place for everything, you know? Yeah. The, uh, now here's my problem with Popstar. I like the movie. I hate the music. I hate the music. Oh, yes. So, are are we ready to just, are we ready to let go? Yeah, that's my casual Uh, segue. Okay. So I would say, I will be honest and tell you this, I have seen Popstar twice. The first time I saw it, I absolutely fucking hated it. I thought it was crap. 
was so obnoxious. The music was terrible. I hated everything. Uh, so it was a little bit tough and that I was the dumbass that suggested that we do it. <laughs> but, I, but I knew at, at the same time, I knew that it was like, it was a logical choice. Right. It but made sense. Did, in your gut, did you feel like you needed to give it another shot? See, I didn't like Hot Rod when I yes. first saw it. I thought it was stupid bullshit. And then I watched it again. I was like, oh, I kind of get this now. And by the third watch, I was like, okay, I'm in. Yes. So I, that is part of it, too, is that, yes, I did think that it was something I needed to give another chance. Because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't like the first time. I didn't like um, Zoolander the first time. I didn't like Nacho Libre the first time. You know, I had a hard time with Parks and Rec at first, and it was like, now it's like one of my favorite shows. So there's a lot of stuff that I know that, like, it deserves another go. So I will say that this, I did just watch it again a couple weeks ago, and I did like it a lot better. But I think that you're right that regardless of, you know, how spot on it might be, how comedically funny it is, the music is trash. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing is, I hit a wall, I don't know, maybe six years ago, where I just stopped listening to new music. When Imagine Dragons came out, I was like, eh, I guess this is the end, huh? Like, I'm okay with them, but I got this feeling that the music that I liked was going away, especially hip-hop. I've never been a huge hip-hop guy, but I would say maybe about 10-15% of what I have is hip-hop in, in you know, my regular repertoire. And I don't know what in the hell is going on with hip-hop. Now, I've been trying to watch Black Lightning, and every single song in that first season is this weird, distorted, uh, what's what's it called uh, when you use the mic? You know, they distort it. Cher started this bullshit 20 years ago. Oh, um, I don't know, but I call it shit. Yeah, but what you know, where they warp the voice, and it's just like every song sounds like this unbelievable pounding bass. There's no more sampling. Distortion? Distor no, there's another. There's another word for it. Damn, I can't oh. remember. Um, Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, but they would use it all the time now, and I can't tell what they're saying. There's no rhythm. There's no harmony. And that's all I hear in hip-hop now, and this is what I hear in Popstar and all of Lonely Island stuff. Maybe the first couple of songs are funny, like um, the Chronicles of Narnia and Dick in a Box and yeah. stuff like that. Those are funny, but... I don't. I just don't care for them because I always feel like they're yelling at me. They sound like 303, or Macklemore and Lewis. More 303 though, where I just feel like I'm being assaulted. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I would say that I'm pretty much with you. That I. I would say that my musical taste um, stopped at about 2003. Um, I don't listen to anything much beyond that. Um, I mean, I listened to, you know, a little bit here and there. There's a few new albums that I have, um, or groups that I've listened to since they started, and that's why I can still listen to them now. Right. But otherwise, I know, I know very little about current music. Um, I don't listen to the radio. Um, when I play trivia, music is my weakest subject area <laughs> so um and and plus you know i mean i obviously think that the reason why the music in pop star sucks is because it's based on shitty pop music right it's supposed to be shitty but the plot now the plot <laughs> I mean, it's is like a, 
Yeah, I, I yeah. love the plot. I love the fact that it comes off as a VH1, like, where are they now, documentary kind of style. Yeah. Where they reflect on the band that they used to be, a Beastie Boyle uh, voice kind of, I, Boyles, Beastie Boyles, which are the Garbage Pail Kids version of the Beastie Boys. <laughs> the, uh, but, you know, that style of band, even though I thought that Donkey Roll song was bullshit, too. And, <laughs> The uh, but you know interviewing Usher and other guys and talking about how they were you know they affected them growing up I like that I love the fact that you get to watch him you know struggle through the fact that he had a really good album on his own and then the fact that his ego gets so big and the production so yeah. overwhelming that it's unlistenable garbage which didn't remind me of hip hop it reminded me of Guns N' Roses when we waited like 15 years for Chinese Democracy to come out and it was the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Or like when they finally said that Smashing Pumpkins was getting back together and releasing a new album, was that any good? I don't know. It was probably just Billy Corgan at that point. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So I do appreciate that movie because this definitely, um, despite being pretty silly, they definitely had growth, like personal growth, and he kind of learned what the, the real issue was behind his failure was him and his terrible personality and his ego and and he you know kind of worked on fixing that yeah uh you don't that you don't um uh, spinal tap that wasn't even a consideration <laughs> no they can argue when they get back together immediately because they're so terrible on their own <laughs> let's just noodle yeah. around let's like have a jazz free-for-all man I do think that's an interesting thing, too, when you think about all of the, um, pretty much all of the movies that, like, Christopher Guest does with all of the same actors, is that there's never any personal growth. There's never any, like, oh, this is, this issue is because we're terrible people. No. We just accept them for who they are, and they never change. Yeah. Well, and uh, that's, I just think that's an interesting difference. I, I don't think after Popstar, I really thought the with the reviews being so strong for Popstar and the way that Paramount was pushing it, I thought it was going to be a big hit. I mean, it just stunk up the joint. It was a massive flop, and I, I'm pretty sure that's the last time they're going to give him a shot as a lead. Oh, you? Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, well, look at this. You got okay. Hot Rod was a big flop. That's My Boy was a huge flop. And Popstar, I mean, has he been in other movies? Oh, God. That's My Boy was such a bad movie. I thought there was a couple of decent lines in it. Um, but yeah, it was just a flop. And I think in general, he's just a guy fit for television. I don't think he's a leading man. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think that he, that's something that isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, but I do remember wanting to punch him in the face the first season he was on SNL. I don't know why he annoyed me. His face felt like it was attacking me. It was just his hair was crazy and his face was like, yeah, with a big smile. And he... Just like, ah, get away from me. I mean, uh, comedic comedic actors and actresses, I mean, that's a lot of it is being over the top, and it's very easy to go over the top funny to over the top to, you know, like, just so beyond what you can handle. Yeah. I mean, isn't that, do you get, don't you get tired of seeing, like, the same, like, <clears throat> you know, I got, I thought. At one time, I was a big supporter of Amy Schumer. I thought she was very funny. And, you know, like, some of the stuff she was doing on her show was just, like, top-notch. And then you're just like, oh, God, so much exposure, I can't stand to look at your face anymore. 
Yeah, I think I think in general people are tired. Of, that's the thing about comedians. Sometimes they're of the moment. Like I mean, for Pete's sake, Paulie Shore was a yeah. star for five years. He had a contract mm. with Disney and Sony, and he was starring as a lead in movies, and then instantly gone. It, I know. But sometimes they hold on. They hold on very very well because he was he was he was so lucky. Yeah, because <laughs> he well, he wasn't really an actor. He was a personality. He was a yeah. Almost like Ernest, you know, in that way, where he was known as yes. this one particular... He was the weasel! And uh, that's one thing about Andy Samberg, though. He he hasn't locked down with uh, a character. He's he, I think I think he's better than... I, I think his movie should be successful, is what I should say. I You know, I thought yeah. Pop Rod should have been much bigger than it was. And I thought Pop Star should have been, you know, more than, what was it, $8 million or something awful at the box office? You know what they're now doing like little documentary, little mockumentaries for HBO now, like tour to pharmacy and stuff like that. Oh my god, did you watch the Bash Brothers one on Netflix? Yes, yes I did. The tennis one, right? Uh no, it was a baseball one about Jose Canseco. Oh, okay, yes. Yes, I did. That was a little disturbing. It was weird. It was very weird. It was weird. But the fact that they have but that I mean, that free will now, because I think maybe that's better for them. It's like a long sketch. Whereas, yeah. clearly, you know, as a movie, it's just not going to work. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe they just have to accept certain formats aren't best for their style. Did you see that Shout Factory, and, and they usually do older titles, Shout Factory is putting out a special edition of Popstar with the craziest cover I've ever seen that has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. Mm, I think I saw that you posted a picture of it or something. He's on a rooftop with a flamethrower fighting giant wasps. Which has nothing to do with the movie. Oh. That's so crazy. I don't understand what the idea behind it is. And yet, now I want it. Yeah, it's. I, I, maybe that's just the end joke, is that it has nothing to do. You know, like, wait, you would watch an old movie, you'd rent it because the cover looked cool, and that, that never show up in the movie. Mm hmm. <sighs> oh, yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> um, so, overall, how do you feel about Popstar? Popstar got better the second time around. I'm not completely on board. Um, it might take another couple yeah. watches, but I really do think that the bad music really hampers it because it's not funny. That's the weirdest thing is, for the most part, the songs aren't even funny. Mm-mm. They just are. I mean, yes, he's playing into the genre, and he's not mildly poking at it even. It just seems like a really dumb version. Whereas... Spinal Tap really got the genre. They tweaked it to, you know, really fit that deep joke if you if you know that music it works but also just on its own it's a funny song yeah no one knows who they were or what they were doing there (laughs) (laughs) i think mostly i just and and pop star like i agree with you that it was i thought it was funnier the the second it was better the second viewing but mostly i just felt really sad for the other guys like I felt sad for the other dudes. Yeah, or, the one on the farm you know. with the goats all the time. I was like, no, this... I, yeah, I thought he was going to have a mental breakdown and go crazy. I didn't know where that character was going to go. Yeah, so, I mean, there was definitely like, funny moments like, you know, when he proposed to her and what all the things that went awry with Seal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I still can't yeah, believe they the had inter- a 10-second sequence with a penis on a, a window. Can you sign my penis? He, oh, yeah. I could have done without that. 
But in the interviews with all those people that were, yeah, were inspired by their his, their work and all that stuff, that was great. But overall, I mean, in the mockumentary genre, this is pretty low on my list still. All right, so that is the end of this episode. We're discussing doing UHF and something else, and I'm not thinking that's a smoochie, just because of the whole Stanley Spadowski connection Ooh, to smoochie. Yeah. Um, that's something, because um, I can't really find another good movie about TV shows. And sketch comedy movies are hard to discuss because, yes, UHF in a way is a sketch comedy wrapped in a narrative, but like Kentucky Fried Movie, it's all sketches, and how do you really discuss all that? So I don't think that's going to work. So I'm pretty sure I'm almost 90% locked down with Death to Smoochie, but we'll see. Okay, well, if someone has a better suggestion, please share, but I'm totally fine with watching Death to Smoochie again, man. Yeah. I saw that at the movie theater when it came out, and <laughs> I was like, yes, this shit is amazing, because I like a good-ass dark comedy. Yeah, you know, because the reason I was holding off Holding on Death to Smoochie is because I thought it would pair very well with another movie I'd love to discuss one day is Shakes the Clown. Ooh, yeah. Because the Robin Williams connection, because, you know, he's in Shakes the Clown, the fact that it's, you know, this version of a child hero and it's twisted. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm pondering. I don't know why I'm doing this on the air. Hey, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Video Night. And uh, anything you want to plug before we go? No, not at all. Uh, there, I'll put a plug in my... But thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good night.